So kids, may you know that uh, God is indeed your help and your shield and your eternal home. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a dream where you're supposed to be in an event? Maybe you're going to a class, like a final, or, or even a wedding or something like that. And you're going there, and you all of a sudden find out you are dressed tremendously inappropriately. You're like in a bathing suit, or maybe even you don't have clothes on at all. Okay, so all I'm going to say is dreams are weird, and sometimes we ought not give too much thought to their meaning, but they're, they're strange, right? But at that moment, you feel perhaps naked, perhaps vulnerable, perhaps unprotected, right? There are times when what you wear does not matter whatsoever. My daughter Madison, when she was four years old, we had a friend of our family sent two outfits, one to, to Maddie, one to Bailey, and it was a gray t-shirt matching, said volleyball on it, and some yellow shorts, and I'm not exaggerating, Maddie must have wore that outfit every day all summer long, that whole, that whole year, it was amazing, it's just like, okay, she wore this pair this today, the other pair the next day, right? Carrie just tried to keep him clean. There are some, some battles you just say, okay, I'm not going to fight that, that battle, okay? But there are other times when what you wear is important, right? When it gets to be 20 below, that ain't going to cut it, right? Or as my Canadian wife reminded me, if you're a hockey goalie, you can't just walk out there with the regular equipment. You need something different. Even so, as we are in a spiritual battle, there's a, an equipment that God has given us. We're looking at a classic passage out of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. And we're talking about being dressed and ready because the Christian life is indeed, it's a battle, folks. The Christian life is a battle. It's not a life of increasing ease. Again, let me just read these opening verses. Finally, be strong and in the Lord and in His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in, of evil in, in heavenly places. This letter was originally written to uh, the church in Ephesus, which is right on the coast of what's modern-day Turkey. It was called Asia Minor at the time. It was the gateway to Asia. And there was a culture war because as the gospel was spreading here, it didn't necessarily jive with the local culture. It was the seat of worship of the goddess Artemis. And as people were putting their faith in Christ, there was a whole industry of Artemis idols being made. And so, hey, they're taking away our, our money. And so there was a riot. So, the gospel was not necessarily embraced with open arms by everybody in Asia Minor because of this. Even so, today, in our, our culture, is not always excited about Christianity. In fact, there's a growing hostility, it seems like, in our secular society. This is evidence, again, of a spiritual war, a very real spiritual enemy who's intent on leading God's image bearers astray and attacking and opposing especially those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, for their redemption, for their salvation. Again, the enemy is not so much the people around us. Indeed, it is the devil and his angels who are spiritual beings that have aligned themselves to rebel against, against the living God, and they have schemes. They have schemes. Yes, the people around us, they may, they may oppose us but they're blinded by this enemy. The devil is scheming, and he wants to confuse us. He wants to confuse us who are following Christ. And, and sometimes we think, as we grow more and more in our faith in Christ, life should get easier. Life should be a little less stressful, because I'm obeying, and God's going to bless me, right? That's not always the case. There's not a reduction of conflicts and trials. And so we wonder about God. Does he love us? And maybe even the conflicts 
cause us to wonder if he exists. It's all part of the devil's schemes. He's trying to strategically deceive us. But the truth is, God wants to grow us as warriors. So we are called to be dressed and ready for battle. Not naked, underdressed, not unprepared, not unfamiliar with the equipment God has given us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand. The day is coming, the day of evil, whether you are ready or not, and he's asking us to get dressed. So today we're going to go through a passage really examining the equipment, the armor that God has given us, how we're to use it, and how God is calling us again to stand. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into God's Word today. So Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful, first of all, that you have made us. We are grateful that you have done what it takes to redeem us, and you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And some of that is this armor that you talk about here in this letter. So open the eyes of our heart that we may see it, that we may use these things you've prepared, and that we will walk, that we will stand, that we will fight as you've intended, Lord. You are our strong tower, and we look to you. Send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the command here is to stand. Not to give ground. Not to let the enemy come in. And how do we give ground as Christians? It's when we agree with the lies of the enemy. We give ground by agreeing with the lies of the enemy. This illustration is brought into full fruition as Paul looked at the armor of the common Roman soldier at the time. And each piece of equipment and how it corresponded to the Christian life. So we start out with the first piece, which is the belt of truth buckled around your waist in verse 14. When you're trying to stand your ground against an onslaught of enemy, you need something that's going to support your core. It's going to hold you together as there's a rushing onslaught, right? Because they're trying to bend you backwards. This belt was not like some dress belt just to hold your trousers up, right? It was a thick piece of leather that went around your waist. Sometimes it was even like a harness that laced up in the back that would be pulled tight to give you that support, to give you that strength, to hold you up, to gird you, to hold it together. Because one, one of the schemes of the enemy is to overwhelm you, to bull rush believers with all sorts of lies, to get us to agree with him, to allow him to gain ground, to be weakened in our resistance against him. To bend us backwards. Here are a few, a few samples, right? You know, there's no difference between us and the animals. We're just a little more farther advanced. God really doesn't care about sex before marriage. I mean, love is love, right? I mean, if you think any different, that's just legalism. It really doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. Yeah, I know they say that the Bible is God's word, but it's really full of errors, and it's just written by people that are trying to control you. You know, the whole thing about Jesus rising from the dead, it's nice. It's really a myth. I mean, he was just a man. That's all he was. And miracles, you know, the definition of miracles are things that can't happen. Now, you can see if you're agreeing with such things, it can weaken us to the attacks of the enemy. But here's, here's the thing. Do you know God is not afraid of the truth? He's not afraid of the truth. Because he is the truth. Jesus himself, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And the truth is what holds us together. So where do we go for that truth? Well, we've got a whole series that's coming up starting next week. So I'm not going to give away all of that this week, but I want you to be here because 
we are looking at God's Word because we need to be grounded. We need to have that belt of truth around us to be equipped for this. Which leads to the next piece of equipment, which is called the breastplate of righteousness. This is a piece of heavy leather, or maybe even bronze at the time, that covered your torso, that covered your thorax, that, co- that protected your vital organs, especially your heart. And that's exactly where Satan aims, doesn't he? See, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, as it says in Revelation 12.10. He says, hey, you know what? (laughs) You think you have a pure heart? I know you. I know you struggle with greed. I know you struggle with lust. I know you struggle with pride and gossip and slander. You think you're all that in a bag of chips? You're not. And he's right. To a certain extent, but here's the truth. The truth is that our righteousness is not self-generated. It is from the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. My righteousness is not my own. We're going to celebrate that a little bit later. And if you've been here at Berean for communion, you know I regularly quote this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that says, God made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us on the cross, that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a great exchange that has taken place. You see, my righteousness is not my own. It's derived from Jesus. It's what he says. It's an amazing, I mean, it is amazing grace. It almost seems too good to be true. But that's why it is good news. My righteousness that protects my heart is not what I have done. It's what Christ has done. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It protects me because it's Jesus' righteousness that's been given to me. And it leads to the next piece. The shoes of the gospel of peace, which quoted are fitted with readiness. I don't know about you, but nobody wants to go into a place of conflict barefooted, right? No one wants their toes stomped upon. The footwear that we're talking about was probably laced around, had leather, and had studs or cleats on the bottom so that you could gain ground that you wouldn't slip, right? And actually, so you could advance. Here it is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And you are fitted with readiness. You're prepared to move forward. It's not just stand and wait for it. It is start marching forward. That's what we're talking about. This being fitted with these shoes of the gospel of peace. And here it is. That gospel is good news. Good news of what God has done in sending His Son in order to make peace between Himself, a holy God, and ourselves, sinful men and women who have nothing to hold before God except our sin. And He says, if you'll receive My gift, if you'll receive My gift of what My Son has done, you can be changed. You can be saved. You can become my child. Your, your nature can start to be changed. It is good news to a world that desperately needs it. God has graciously given us His Son, His sacrifice. I can't help but believe that Paul was thinking about this verse in, in um, Isaiah 52.7. It says, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings to proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. True confession, folks, I have ugly feet. They are ugly. I got toes. I got bl- I just don't want, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, But here's my point. My feet can be beautiful as I'm willing to take this good news to people that need to hear it. But I need to be ready. I need to be ready to tell people. See, a lot of us, I think we're not ready. How do you get ready? Yeah, you need to have a a basic understanding of what God 
has done. And we need to be ready to give a hope for the answer, uh, answer for the hope that's within us, as 1 Peter 3.15 talks about. But here's something I think that is so key to each one of us and, and will help us be more effective. Because I think that's our fear, right? We're not going to be effective when we tell people. The gospel needs to be good news to us, to you, to me. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to be reminded, once again, where God found us. In rebellion, without life, without Him. And remind ourselves how extravagantly He spent Himself, He spent His Son for us. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. And that's when it becomes good news to us and it becomes good news to others. Because we're a natural evangelist all, over, all, all the time. Whether you know it or not. You're an evangelist about the new restaurant. Oh man, those, those fish tacos are awesome, right? Or about a movie that you've seen or about a product that you've, you've bought. How much more about the good news of Jesus Christ who gives us life who changes our nature, who changes our destiny to take that forward and gives us an identity that can never change. That's good news. But we have to continue to preach that good news to ourselves that we can make it good news to others. There's a story about Benjamin Franklin. He's going out to see Charles Whitfield, who was one of the, the major preachers of the, of the revival state before, right before the Revolutionary War. Uh, great awakenings, I should say. And a friend of Franklin says to him, why are you going to see Whitfield? You don't believe any of that. He says, I know that, but he believes it. You see, Franklin was right. Whitfield was effective because he believed the gospel, and it was contagious. Preach that good news to yourself, and your feet will be pretty. The next item is the shield of faith that can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, the devil is taking pot shots at you and me all the time. And the shield there was a, a shield that had leather on it that was soaked in water. Because flaming arrows would come, and they're hoping to set the enemy on fire, they would extinguish. The same way we have the devil who's taking pot shots at us. And it usually looks like this. It's usually a question. If God is good, then why? If God really loved you, then why? Is life so hard? Is that person suffering? Is there so much evil? Why is my prayer for X not being answered? Why is that wicked person prospering? Why am I struggling with my health? And there are real, there are answers to it. It's usually an answer we don't want to hear is that God's not done yet. But you know what? Sometimes we just have the wrong preconceptions about who God is and what He's done. I want to encourage you to think about going to the AEC, God's not like that. Because maybe you have some preconceptions about who God is and what God does. And maybe those things are learned that are not actually not biblical. And it is good to know God's word and his promises. But here's the other thing we need to be careful of. Not to degrade our relationship with God to mere formula or just a, a kind of a, a contract or principles, right? If, God, if I do X, then God has to do Y. Because that is the story of Job. Did you know that? Satan says, well, of course Job loves you. You blessed him. You take that away, he'll curse you to his face. And God says, okay, go ahead. Take away his blessing. And Satan is allowed to do so. And Job replies, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, fine. 
You take away his health, and he'll curse you. Basically, Satan is saying, Job loves you because, you know, you've been good to him. And God is saying, no, there's something more that is to be valued here. That is relationship with the living God. We can't always see his hand, folks. What God is doing, it's true. There's sometimes we, we, go, we hold up our hands and say, I have no idea what God is doing. But you know what we can trust? His heart. We can trust his heart. God has said in his word, and we know, Romans 8, 28, and we know, can I say that again? And we know that God works all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He works all things. And you know what? It's hard right now because you don't see the end. You're in the process. But that is his heart towards you and me. And oftentimes it is to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is trying to do in you, what he's trying to do in me. Because God is playing the long game. He's not playing the short game. And hey, I love temporary blessings along the way. I love a good steak. I love a good baseball game. I love a lot of good things that, that God brings. And a beautiful sunset. But that is not going to last for eternity. God is more concerned about making me holy than he is about making me happy. The same is true of you if you're following Christ. And he does it out of his goodness. Which leads to the next piece, which is the helmet of salvation. To protect the head, to protect the mind. Typically it was a leather or a bronze helmet but spiritually this is the message we don't have to live a life of self-protection here on earth because this is all there is because it's not this is not all there is and that's a good thing and that he's got me he's got you if you're in christ no matter what for eternity I love what the Apostle Paul says in his Romans chapter 14, verse 8. He says, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Let me just read Paul's diatribe on this in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. And all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not cancer, not divorce, not economic downturn, not Alzheimer's, not a loss of job, not a loss of friends, not a car accident, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ if you are in Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, with no guile, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Because I am now in his presence. Jesus indeed would tell us, yes, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Which leads to the next piece. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as it says at the end of verse 17. Yes, indeed, the sword of the Spirit is God-breathed, as 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about. It's an offensive weapon. And it's like the gladius that a Roman soldier would have. It's a double-edged sword, very sharp on both sides for hacking back and forth. In this case, it's the word rhema versus the word logos, if you're familiar with the Greek. This is the word rhema, which means the spoken word of God. 
Like Jesus battling Satan in, Satan in the wilderness in, in Matthew 4. <laughs> if you're the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm not going to fall into the temptation of being self-sufficient. If you're the Son of God, then jump off this temple, because the Word says that God will send His angels to bury you up. It is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. I'm not going to put myself in a foolish place just to prove something that is foolish. If I'm going to put my faith out there, it's going to be for something that God has called me to do, not make God jump through my hoops. If you are the son of, well, you know what? I've got control of the whole world, and I'll give it to you. All the kingdoms, if you'll just worship me. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him alone. Why would I want to worship the creation? And the Creator is so much better. You see how it works? Because Satan is, is quoting... He's quoting scripture, especially in the second one, in Psalm uh, 91. But the sword is used to counter the misuse and the lies that, that Satan throws our way. You know, the heresies about the Christian faith that come our way are usually of just misuse of, of one passage that's isolated by itself and not in relation to the rest of the context of scripture. There's a heresy that says Jesus is just a God not the God. And yet, if you take the whole plenipotentiary of Scripture, you see that that is a lie. But that's how Satan works. He tries to isolate something and take it out of context and finds a weakness. Here's my question. If you're a follower of Christ, how good of a sword fighter are you? How good of a sword fighter are you? Do you know your sword? Are you ready to draw it when attacked? And folks, this is not a comparison thing. I know some of us, reading and taking in those things come easier for us than others, but God has given us his word. And especially for English speakers, holy cow, we have so many resources. It's amazing. You can, you know, if you're not a reader, you can do an audio Bible. If you're confused by some of the passages. We've got more kind of straightforward, uh, plain-spoken translations, like the New Living Translation. You kind of go, what does that mean? Go to that plain English translation, and that'll help you understand it. But boy, God has given us so many resources. Take advantage of what we're going to be doing here this fall. We're going to be doing the Sermon on the Mount. There's going to be a men's Bible study that's going to be going through 2 Samuel. Maybe you need to memorize a passage. And some people go, oh, Pastor, I don't memorize passages. Yes, you do. You memorize useless stuff all the time. You do. I was at a concert the other night, and there's a part in the, in the concert where there's a rap. And I'm not, it's about 30 seconds, and I, the band did not do any of it. The whole audience did it. We memorize stuff all the time. We just have to make it important to us. We have to say, this is an area I need God, I need to step up with the Word of God. One of the passages I memorized as a young man in college is Colossians 3, 5, which says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Do you think that was happening around me on a secular university? Impurity. Lust. Evil desire. And greed which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. Why did I say that three times? Because the American dream oftentimes says the more stuff you have, the more life you have. That is a lie. It's an idol. God is your life, not your stuff. So we need to equip ourselves, especially in areas where we feel like we're weak. And here's one other thing. I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to read the whole Bible through. And even if you don't understand it, because every time you read it through, you start to see the whole big picture. It's not all these just random stories. It is all one big story. 
It just takes time somehow to see it, how it all works together. And when you are facing the enemy, you want to live it out, but you want to speak it out. You want to speak it out. I will put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to my earthly nature. Maybe there's something on, a, on Netflix that's coming on, and you're going, okay, uh-uh, mm-mm, I, no. I'm going to put to death what belongs to my earthly nature, because this is not taking my heart down the right way. And speaking it out is not necessarily the magic words, but it has authority because it's God's word. So do it. Use that sword. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, as James 4.7 says. And the last item have here, we have here, it's not the least, but it is that of prayer. And I've got three statements about prayer, so space your, your uh, outline accordingly. Prayer is our access to God's power. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. It is one more aspect of the gospel, folks. You see, the Christian life is not that God forgives you, gives you a lot of knowledge, now good luck. No. Indeed, God does forgive you through what Christ has done, but then He sends His Holy Spirit to live within you, to start living into that life. So even as we pray, instead of coming with a laundry list to God, say, God, how do you feel about this? How should I pray for this person? Because maybe, maybe it's something different than what I think. Maybe you're doing something greater than just healing that person or give that person a job. Maybe there's something you're doing in their character. Maybe there's something you're doing in their life. And I want to join you in that. So we want to use the Holy Spirit to say, how are you leading me? How are you leading me to pray for this person? And you know what? There's sometimes we have an, an issue and we just don't even know how to pray. I, I, I don't know, God. It's bigger than me. But here's the promise in Romans chapter 8, 26, that in those moments of weakness, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans too deep for words. Think about this. This is amazing. This is, how the, this is why the Trinity is relevant. The Holy Spirit is praying the will of God to God the Father that to reflect the heart of God for us. That is an amazing thing. It blows my I don't fully grasp it, but I'm so grateful for that truth. God, I don't know what to pray. Holy Spirit, intercede for me. And He does. He does. See, so often we're looking to our own resources. <laughs> we're looking to just fire off the prayers, go through the laundry list, stay a while. And this place where the Holy Spirit is at work is where our strength is found in the battle. And prayer is the main access point. Number two, prayer is our access for God's provision with all kinds of prayers and requests. Indeed, we are dependent upon our Heavenly Father, and He wants to give us, He will give us what we need. And no, no item is too small. You can pray for a parking space. That's okay. You can pray for a good haircut. That's alright. You can pray for a new job, and that's alright too. There's nothing that we can't bring before Him. But, we can't view God as a vending machine. Okay? He promises to meet our needs. He doesn't always give us our wants. And sometimes what he gives us is different than we thought it would be. And sometimes it's in a different timing than we thought it would be. Let him be God. Because prayer is more than about, than about provision. It's about a relationship with the living God. And he maybe wants to teach us something about himself or maybe something about ourselves. So as we seek him, Say, God, what are you showing me? It's not always about receiving. Often it's about knowing Him. And last of all, prayer is our access to God's protection. The last part of verse 18. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people or the saints. Certainly God is our refuge and strength. He's our shield. He's our strong tower. We can call upon Him. I love Psalm 50. Verse 15, 
and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. That is a promise we can, we can cling to. But this passage in Ephesians is more about calling on the Lord for the benefit of our brother and sister in Christ. To get each other's back. To get each other's sick. Because the enemy is trying to sneak up upon us. He's trying to catch us by surprise. And sometimes we need the intervention of our brothers and sisters. And how are we doing with that? Are you actually praying for other people here at the Breen Community Church? Not just bless Susie or bless Fred here. But God, show them and grow them in the way that you want to grow them as your son, as their daughter. Are we praying for our missionaries regularly? Because they are in a place, they are in a place, folks, where they are experiencing huge spiritual battle. They're not, it's not just, it's not just the spiritual forces, it's sometimes the actual government that's being influenced by those spiritual forces. They need our prayer. Are we praying for your pastors or your elders and your leaders? And hey, I don't think too much about myself. God does not need me. But I know that if one of us leaders goes down, it puts a black eye on Christ and it, it, it affects the body. So be praying for your leaders. Take advantage tonight. We've got Brain Prayer Lifeline at 6 o'clock if you'd like to be here. It's from 6 to 7. And we'll be lifting up those things. Or, did you know we have a, a prayer team that prays during the service for all the requests that come through? Maybe get on that team once a month. Once a month say, I'm willing to take, go out of the service and lift up the needs of the saints to get their six during this service. And if, you, if you're kind of like going, I don't want to do it alone, well, find a friend. Say, hey, let's do that together. But we should be mighty in that area. We shouldn't have to be looking for people to do that. So sign up. Sign up for that. Folks, we're in a battle. We are in a fight. We ought not be surprised. But God has given us His armor. So let's put it on. It's good. And He will give us the strength of His Holy Spirit to use it. And to use it well. And we can be victorious. So now we're going to shift gears and head into a time really of, number one, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Number two, fitting our feet with the shoes of the gospel and putting on the helmet of salvation where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Remembering what He has done. And here at the Breeding Community Church, we practice open communion. That means if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome at this table. It's not my table. It's not the table of the church. It is the church. It is Jesus' table. And he invites you here to remind you of how he has loved you extravagantly. But he's also here to remind you that he's made you, in offering up his body, he's made you part of his body. And so we're going to enter into this time thoughtfully. Because it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. In the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us this, this counsel. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sitting against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man, a woman, ought to examine themselves before they eat or drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So for a few minutes here, I'm going to have Kevin play some music softly in the background. And I'm going to ask you to just come before the Lord and say, Lord, search me. Show me where I'm out of sorts with you. Show me where I've sinned against you. And when he shows you that, then confess it. Take him up on his promise that if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we'll continue in this celebration, remembering God's goodness to us and sending his son and Jesus' sacrifice for us. 
So for a moment here, let's just ask the Lord to show us what's going on in our hearts and our lives. I'm going to ask those who are helping to serve to make their way forward. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to wait till everyone has been served the bread. And then we're going to take together, remembering Jesus' expensive sacrifice for us and offering up his body, but also remembering that he offered up his body to make us one body in himself. So the bread we hold in our hands represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that he willingly offered up for us. He was indeed nailed to a cross, thorns on his head, spear in his side. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, 
shouldst die for me. That is an amazing thought. But he willingly did it because it was the only way. He spent himself extravagantly for us. That we might be his and we might be one body. So let's take with thanksgiving remembering the body that the Lord Jesus Christ offered up for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to live this life for from 33 years. For entering into the weakness of it, Lord. You did not consider being equal with God something to be grasped, but you took on the nature of a servant, a slave. You served us. and You served your Heavenly Father. To purchase us for God. You endured that moment of separation saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we wouldn't be forsaken. So we're grateful, Lord, for your sacrifice and for your love for us. And indeed, Lord Jesus, it is in your name we pray these things. Amen. The Apostle Paul continues, saying in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, you drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, let's wait till all been served the cup, and then we'll take together, remembering the new covenant that Jesus ushered in in his blood. So this cup we hold in our hands represents the new covenant that Jesus bought with his blood, just like Pastor Neil preached about last week. It's a new covenant that is written on our hearts. It is a covenant that says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a covenant that says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
So put on that breastplate of righteousness when the enemy comes and attacks you. Say, my righteousness is not my own. It is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And put on the shoes of the readiness of gospel of peace. Because you were once his enemy, and now you are his child. Now you are forever his. And put on the helmet of salvation, because no matter what happens, there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of the new covenant. So receive it with thanksgiving, the cup of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Let me pray for us as I ask the worship team to come on up here and prepare to lead us in worship. Lord Jesus, (laughs) it is still amazing grace today. (laughs) Make us grateful. May the joy of our salvation pervade our hearts because of what you have done as we remember today very vividly your sacrifice, your love, your grace, your mercy, your righteousness given to us. Indeed, we don't deserve it, but that's what is amazing about who you are. So we are grateful. Help us to enter into that joy and help us, Lord, to continue to equip ourselves with your armor, to put on Christ every day that we might battle the enemy who tries to take us down. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts. We're so grateful that you will come back one day and you'll make everything right. You'll dry every tear. There'll be no more sorrow or pain. And we have the victory in you. We are more than conquerors. So Lord Jesus, we say thank you. And that's why we celebrate your death that gave us life. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.